Welcome to The Author Show, where we feature new authors and books, from fiction to self-help and everything in between. You'll find it all at theauthorshow.com. That's theauthorshow.com. And now let the show begin. Hi, this is The Author Show, and I'm your host, Linda Thompson. Today, we're talking about my absolute favorite genre, historical fiction and conspiracy thrillers. Author Glenn Cooper's latest novel is titled The Lost Pope, and to say it's an action-packed thriller would be an understatement. Glenn joins us to share more. Glenn, welcome to The Author's Show. Thank you, Linda. It's great to be here. Well, I am really excited about talking to you about The Lost Pope, so will you give us a quick overview of it? The short of it is the discovery of a lost female pope early in the history of Christianity threatens to blow up traditional Vatican doctrine. The book opens with a fragment of a first century papyrus being found in an Egyptian funeral mask in Cairo. And that leads our protagonist, Cal Donovan, who's a professor at the Harvard Divinity School, on a quest to find the lost pope and get the church on the right side of history. But powerful forces don't want him to succeed. They don't want the discovery to come out and they conspire to do anything to stop him. Oh, my Lord. I've read The Lost Pope, and to say it kept me on the edge of my seat to the very last page is an understatement. Where did the idea for your storyline generate, particularly a female pope? Well, first of all, this is the sixth in a series of standalone novels featuring this protagonist, Cal Donovan, who's become one of my favorite protagonists. This is my 19th book, so I've been at it for a good while. And Cal is an interesting guy, a complicated man who is befriended a series of popes to the extent that he's been called the Pope Whisperer, someone, (laughs) a a go-to outside person that popes can go to to solve thorny problems off the books, as it were. And this is another really thorny problem facing the church. That is the possibility that deep in the distant uh, history of Christianity, there was, in fact, a female pope after Peter, Peter the Patriarch. And I guess I wanted to write this book because it explores a lot of themes I'm interested in, especially the role of women in society, the women in religion, women in the Catholic Church, and the Vatican. There's a lot of meaty subject matter there. Boy, that's an understatement. So do any of your characters take on traits of real people, or are they pure imagination? Well, I think most authors would tell you that their protagonists have a little to a lot of themselves in it. (laughs) All right. I guess Cal Donovan is the closest to me, or the person I'd like to be, maybe than a lot of my other protagonists. I have sort of an academic background. I've been through a lot of academic experiences. Like Cal, I was at Harvard, and I know my way around that environment. So he's sort of my guy. Well, you just walked me into my next question. You have a degree in archaeology, have been an internal medicine and infectious diseases physician, and was chairman and CEO of a biotech company. Does your experiences in these fields add something to your ability to tell this spellbinding story? You bet. I mean, life experiences for anyone and for me are a continuing well that you can kind of dip the bucket into and pull up, you know, real life, real experiences 
And I think authors can really tell when when writers are drawing on something that they really know about rather than just purely research-based kinds of experiences. I suppose I know most about medicine, but I don't really like writing medical thrillers because it always felt to me too much like my old day job. I really prefer history and archaeology as the basis for a lot of my stuff. Well, you mentioned research. So what kind of research did you do to make your story as believable as possible? Like in almost all of my books, I do a crazy amount of research before I even start. To start this book off, I had a constant delivery from online booksellers dropping primary and secondary text off on my door. In the old days, of course, I had to go to the library, but it's much easier now. I'm sure there were dozens of online primary and secondary sources that I dipped into on early Christianity, on St. Peter, on the Apostles, on Mary Magdalene, on Greek and Coptic biblical texts, on ancient forgeries, on the women's role in the Catholic Church and the Vatican. I probably spent several months doing research before I even started. And that's kind of typical in my books. I try to really get my facts as right as I possibly can. I kind of dare my readers to find my mistakes. Of course, they do sometimes. And I appreciate that. Well, when starting a new book, do you set a plot and stick with it? Or do you prefer to go wherever the characters and story take you? Of the 19 books, I've written now 20. I just finished one. I would say 19 of them were heavily plotted and outlined ahead of time. Because when you write, historical thrillers that have modern elements and you're kind of shuffling time periods and plot lines, if you don't have that worked out in advance, you're going to be in real trouble in months or a year down the line and getting lost without a map. I outline very heavily before I start. The one exception was a book I wrote about pandemics before our big pandemic, and I wanted the protagonist to kind of work through problems, discover things in real time as I was. Uh, and that was an interesting, it's a little bit of a frightful experience. That book was called The Cure. Hmm. Did you write The Lost Pope to make the reader ponder a bit for pure entertainment or perhaps a bit of both? I try to start every book I write with a question. A question for myself, a question for readers. Sometimes it's a religious question. Sometimes it's a philosophical question. Sometimes it's a question about faith versus science. In this case, the question I wanted to ask was, how do we treat women in society? What's the evolving role of women in society? What's the revolving role of women in organized religion? And most specifically, what's the role of women in one of the hardest to crack organized religions, Roman Catholicism? where women have been secondary citizens and still are. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of women walking away from Catholicism because of that very thing. Sexism went out a long time ago, and the rest of the world kind of needs to catch up with it. But let me ask, some authors make it a point to visit all of the locations in their books, or at least the principal locations. Have you walked in the shoes of Cal Donovan while researching The Lost Pope? Almost entirely. I know the Vatican extremely well. I've got you know high-level contacts there. and I've been to you know many, many interesting non-public spaces. I've traveled extensively in, I think, most of, or if not all of the locations in the book. So sometimes I can rely on where I've been before. Sometimes I have to go out 
and do new research. The book before this was called The Fourth Prophecy. And I wrote that during the pandemic, and it was based largely in Portugal. And I had never been to Portugal. So I had to rely exclusively on the internet to make that as authentic as possible. And that was kind of a bummer. Wow. While you were writing The Lost Pope, did you have any visual picture or idea in mind of who would make the ideal reader? Yes. I hope it's not a self-aggrandizement, but I think this is a classic thriller that will take in the vast majority of thriller audiences because it has all of the page-turning elements you'd look for. Now, specifically, yes, the Dan Brown-type conspiracy theory, Vatican audience, check that box. Yes, people interested in European history and the history of the church. Yes, for people who are interested in biblical history. Yes, for people who are interested in women's issues. In general, my books split pretty roughly 50-50 between male and female audiences, and I think this probably will be the same. I believe so, too, because I've read The Lost Pope and absolutely loved it. And it was rather difficult for me to accept the fact that I'd hit the last page. But I, yeah. while, I, while I was reading, I kind of got the feeling that there was this love interest of Cal Donovan's that would probably be always unrequited. Am I correct in that? Yeah. So Cal, early on in the series, and I have to stress, you don't have to read the previous Cal Donovan books to be able to read any Cal Donovan book or The Lost Pope. But there's been this slow, simmering, one-sided relationship between Cal and the female protagonist in the book, Elisabetta Celestino, who is a nun, who is very unusual in that she has risen to as higher than any other woman has ever risen in the hierarchy of the Vatican. And Cal is a notorious bachelor, notorious womanizer, has had a bazillion relationships in his life. He's extremely smart. He's extremely accomplished. He's extremely handsome. He's got it all, except he has a lot of demons also. And he's always been unsatisfied in relationships. And who does he really fall in love with? Truly, for the first time in life, a woman he cannot possess, a nun. She's, of course, a beautiful nun, but she is a nun, nevertheless, who's extremely devoted to her calling. So this is a tension that's been building over the course of the series, and I think the reader will see it in this book as well. Well, in some ways, that's pretty convenient for Cal. If he has this issue of committing to anything, if she's not available, it makes it easy for him, right? I never looked at it that way, but you're absolutely right. It's my understanding, and you kind of mentioned it before we started, you're better known in Europe than you are in the U.S. Why do you think that is? Have you lived in Europe? I've lived in the U.K., but the markets that I'm most prominent in are Italy, Spain, and France, You know, heavily Roman Catholic countries. That might have something to do with it, because I do write a lot about the history of the church. I base a lot of my books in Europe and the UK. I think I've found that the European audiences seem to really take to the complicated, nonlinear books where you have to kind of commit yourself a little bit to sorting through time shifts and things like that. Plus, I think my books have been better marketed in Europe. I've had some really committed publishers there that have done a fantastic job. Well, 
with everything else that you've done, when did you realize you wanted to be an author? You know, pretty early on in my 20s and 30s, but I never really had the time. I was, you know, really on an academic treadmill. I was, you know, in college and then medical school and then internship and residency and first medical jobs. And then I shifted over to research and I was doing, you know, antibiotics research at, you know, Eli Lilly, a big pharmaceutical company, then into biotech. So eventually it was in my 40s when I said, you know, I got to write something because it's just burning inside of me. So I started writing screenplays because I thought they were more accessible than novels, like more like, you know, chicken McNuggets versus a full meal. You can start and finish a screenplay in a few months. And so I wrote 20 screenplays before I wrote my first novel and had a spectacularly unsuccessful career as a screenwriter. Had a bunch of things optioned, you know, only one thing ever got to the screen. And I was starting to write my 21st or so screenplay, you know, big studio, big budget kind of a thing that I knew would never get made. And I said, the heck with it, I'm going to try it as a novel instead. And that became uh, Library of the Dead, which was my debut novel that went on to sell 4 million copies. So that was my transition. And I tell people that I counsel and teach, starting by learning the screenwriter's craft is a really good way to learn how to become a novelist because you really have to concentrate on authentic, believable dialogue, which a lot of novelists, unfortunately, don't have that skill. And you have to concentrate on pacing, especially if you want to write a genre fiction like thrillers. Interesting. So would you please read a short excerpt from The Lost Pope for us? I would love to. This is the opening of the book. It's the Northern Oasis in Egypt, the year 67 CE. Brown was her color and the color of this place. Her eyes were brown and though her hair was graying, it still showed streaks of its original bronze. When she was young, her skin was light enough to go pink as a newborn mouse at the blush of love, but the sun had been baking it for over 50 years, rendering it the shade of tiger nuts. Her old linen robe, her second skin, was the same nut brown, even after she washed and beat the cloth. Her coloration matched the arid land, for it too was brown beyond the green fertility of the oasis. Near to the oasis, the soil was dark as cedar bark, but as one moved away from its spring, the terrain lightened from copper to mustard to the bleached tan of the desert sands. The cluster of houses she came upon were companions of the earth, rising organically from the desert floor, their walls of limestone blocks rough and tawny. She arrived by mule when the sun was burning near the horizon and northerly winds were whipping fine sand into the air. One of her fellow travelers knocked on the rough door and stepped aside for her. An old man showed himself and, in Aramaic, asked who she was. The woman responded, I am Mary. The man, Isaiah, looked at her hard and said, My hearing is poor. Did you say Mary? She lowered her hood, revealing sunken eyes and cracked lips and said, Yes, I am Mary. Mary of Magdala. I seek sanctuary. Old eyes widened. From whom do you flee, my lady? All of them, she said. Christians, Jews, Romans, all wish me dead. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I remember reading that. And I thought, this is going to be a fantastic book. So 
For the sake of all of our listeners, where can we learn more about you, about all of those other books you've written, and where can we purchase The Lost Pope? Well, glencooperbooks.com is my website. There's stuff on all of my books. There's buy buttons. And then you can buy the book any place you buy books, whether it's in real bookstores, which I encourage, or online. We've been talking with Glenn Cooper, author of The Last Pope. Glenn, The Lost Pope is one that I soon won't forget. I was so caught up in the story. And when I looked at the clock, it was 4 a.m. And by that time, I just had to finish it. Your characters stand out on the page to the point that the reader feels like they're old friends. Thank you so much for sharing. And I do hope that you'll come back and talk with us again when you publish your next book. I'll be there with bells. Thank you, Linda. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Booklist says Cooper's name on a book's cover guarantees two things, an elaborate story with plenty of twists and turns and a swift pace that carries the reader through to the end. And author Steve Berry writes, smart and entertaining. Every page is pitch perfect, a terrific story, terrifically told. Well, if those reviews in this interview have you wanting more, go to glencooperbooks.com and order your copy today. And when you finish reading, don't forget to post your review. And please share this interview with your friends so that they too may become acquainted with our author. And remember, the author show may be accessed at any time at theauthorsshow.com. Plus, selected interviews can also be found on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and many more. Whether you're an author who would like to be featured or a reader in search of new books, theauthorsshow.com is a really great place to start. Thanks for listening to The Author Show. Find out more about authors and their work at theauthorsshow.com. Theauthorsshow.com. Tune in next time to another great author on The Author Show.